When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, welcome to Nerdist Podcast number 268. I'm kind of whispering because I'm in a hotel room and it's very late because I just got into New York late because uh, we're doing New York Comic Con this weekend and we're doing our live show at the Best Buy Theater, Nerdist Podcast. So uh, other quick announcements. Uh, Talking Dead returns because Walking Dead returns Sunday, October 14th on AMC. There's that also. Hey, support the podcast. Go to this podcast page. Uh, go to the Amazon banner. Click on it. Shop as you normally would. You'll support the Nerdist Podcast. I'm sorry. I'm trying to do this fast. Because I feel like at any second there's going to be banging on the wall uh, and not the good kind. It's going to be the shut up kind. But my continuing to talk about what I'm afraid is going to happen is only lengthening this intro. Um, this podcast is Liam Lynch, who we've been kind of acquaintanced for a while, but not actually uh, ever actually hung out. So this was a, this was super fun to actually sit down and talk to Liam. Liam turned out to be one of the most interesting people I've ever talked to. I mean, I knew him from, uh, from Sifal and Ali, and, you know, he directed Jesus as Magic, and, I, you know, I knew him as a guy who, in the United States or whatever, and I knew him as a guy who just like, oh, yeah, he makes a lot of cool stuff, but I had no idea how far it would go. And as a matter of fact, uh, he's a huge Doctor Who fan, which uh, he sent me a version of the Doctor Who theme that he did just fucking around, and so I tacked it on to the end of this podcast. So here you go, the Nerds Podcast, episode number 268, with Liam Lynch. Sorry, hotel neighbors. That's all right, Chris. Now entering Nerdist.com. It looks like a sonic screwdriver. It looks like a sonic screwdriver, but it's a but it's a it's a vaporizer. A sm- oh wow! <laughs> a smoke vaporizer. It is a vaporizer. So wait, what's what's in it though? Um, there's thousands of flavors, ten thousand, twenty thousand different flavors because it's open to food things. Yeah. So you can. Birdie no, bots, like every flavor smokes. It's like Willy Wonka invented smoking, and it doesn't hurt you or smell, <laughs> or there's no smoke. That's what it's like. It's so, like, and it's cheaper than smoking. It is. It's you can the schnozberries vape like schnozberries. <laughs> wow, they, they vape pretty well. Mm-hmm. Dude, but it's so if you're like a nerdy, like a like. So I fill this up, and this would last me a whole day, and it's so cheap, and it's so good. It's so much better. This is a variable voltage mod. And I can, 
It checks the ohm rating of my cardamizer. Mm-hmm. The, um, <laughs> yeah, where's the flux uh, capacitor? Yeah, exactly. But you can set the voltage to high voltage. And it just What's fires. What's the difference if it's a higher voltage? How, how hard it's it shoots. Like if you... And this is allowed. Like, like, smoker that's just computer. water vapor you're shooting it's at, right? Yeah. No so it's smoke. just Nothing's like about burning. them. It's just about the mental idea of just being able to do that. Well, there's no, something it in it that feels great and it tastes incredible. It tastes so good. It's like a hookah pipe, right? You're you're inhaling. Are you inhaling it? Yeah, I'm inhaling. Is it, is, but it's is water vapor? Is there a tobacco element to it? Um, if you have a tobacco flavor, there is. But you can also do nicotine? literally apple. You can have it with nicotine or without, and you can do you could do apple stuffed. Waffles, and it's like <laughs> Jesus Christ, and it tastes like you're eating that. And it's, but what's <laughs> what's the amazing. chemical thing that it's doing to you? Is, it, is, there, is there any kind no. of thing you're inhaling, or um, any kind of buzz that you get from it, or is it just you, the? Well, you can get it with nicotine, but you can control the nicotine how much you want when you buy the different flavors. So it's what you can't do in cigarettes. You can't, like you can wean yourself off nicotine, from, but there's nothing wrong with nicotine. It's almost the same molecule as caffeine. It's the tar. It's everything else. Yeah, that they put all the other chemicals. They know that cinder going know, into your lungs. That's what it is. It's ash and carcinogens and the chemicals. They add. There's like 700 chemicals in a cigarette, and when you light it, all the, it makes th- almost 3,000 chemicals. Jesus yeah. Christ! But in this, there's there's three ingredients. So it's it's you know water and propylene glycol, and then a flavoring mm. of sorts. Apple even waffles. That, uh, even like the American Spirit stuff is just like it's no good. It's no, still it's it's just it's, still burning. It's burning. You're inhaling. Ash. It's like running into a forest fire. And yeah. Then yeah. Just no, they just put a Native American. Just putting a Native American on something doesn't make it healthy. <laughs> Or makes, spiritual. That's, no, it's just a healthy. branding. <laughs> it's just a branding thing. Yeah. Wood coin. But dude, honestly, it's like the evolution. It's like this is what they'll be doing in space stations. Yeah. You know, like whenever I think, like I'm like, Boba Fett has this in one of his <laughs> things. You know what I mean? Like he gets, After a he righteous gets, kill. He gets in the ship and he just like lifts his helmet out and he's like. After a hard day of bounty hunting, I like to <laughs> sit down with a yeah. nice, cool because, drag. Know, won't clog space station air filtration systems <laughs> like Ashwood. Uh, so yep. all you're doing is humidifying. It's wampa flavored. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the uh, the Jabba, you know, frog oh, yeah. water hookah. Right. <laughs> That's what that was. That was yeah. a frog hookah. Yeah. yeah. I the have, Jabba like, was little in... frogs in there. Yep. <laughs> Just little plastic frogs. It could be frog. And too. then a little buddy that laughs at you. Salacious crumb. Yeah, salacious crumb. Um, I, I well, there's a certain element of smoking that I think is not. That is it also beyond the, you know, I'm getting all these chemicals or whatever, but it's just, it, I think it's the focused breathing thing. Like if you're stressed, if people are stressed out. I, I agree. It focused, like that part focused your breathing. It and, slows uh, you down. But, but, that, but so bad for you. Um, it's terrible for you. And I hated it and I smoked for a long time and I tried everything to quit. And then, um, and for me, it was more like if I wrote my day as in a diary a cigarette was was all the punctuation every comma and yeah. period i got in my car period yep had a cigarette. <laughs> wow. I, like walked outside comma lit a cigarette. right so i like it, removing that from my life was really like removing all the punctuation out of my day and it was weirder that was the weirdest part for me but i tried the you know the e-cigarettes those little ones and they didn't satisfy me and i started learning about it and f- realized that there's all these great american companies that are making these really 
beautiful objects. And so that's a high voltage vaporizer. Yes, yeah, high voltage. And those little ones that look, you know, they're these little Chinese batteries, and they don't last and they don't satisfy you. And if a smoker tries them, they're going to be like, "This is." You uh, just want to smoke again an hour yeah, later. Exactly. Hmm. So I kind of did those half half for a while, and then went full bore, and um, and really got into it. And it's kind of like a really weird. You mean you have bore flavored? Yeah, it's yeah. more flavors. Full board. And, but like half board, if like you're just not that hungry. All the ham flavors they really <laughs> yeah. cover great. You have wild boar on the islands of Hawaii. Yeah. That uh, fucking scared the shit out of me once when we were hiking through. Oh, they can God. fuck you up. We were hiking through uh, on um, this was ages ages ago with uh, with Jacinda I think we were we were hiking on um, Kauai. Mm-hmm. We're sort of hiking through the forest like oh we kayak to the to the uh, waterfall from Fantasy Island. And we're sort of walking through this trail, and we just hear this, like, clump, clump, like this heavy hoofs dropping sound. <laughs> and there's the boar from Lost. I mean, run! <laughs> yeah. That's what's funny. Like, and then the bush is separated, and someone was like, uh, oh, uh, yeah, that was probably a wild boar, and yeah. you're lucky that he didn't charge, charge you. Yeah, because they can take just, out your fucking legs. Yeah, they're just crazy. Yeah, I remember uh, when watching Lost, and there was the, you know, it was about before the polar bear was about to start running up, and I was like, oh, they're going to think it's something crazy, but it'll just be a boar. And then it was a polar bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, boars are. Don't mess with the boars. But yeah. Uh, Oops, sorry. I, I, yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I, re- I remember smoking. It's just. Did you ever smoke? I did in my twenties. Yeah. And I'm so sorry I ever did. And I, I actually, I just did, a, I just did a Larry King interview, and he goes, "What do you, what do you regret most in your life?" And I was like, oh, "I don't know. I don't really like to, you know. Yeah. I don't really. I try not to live with regret." And he was like, "Mine smoking." Oh wow. Does he, he have problems? Wow. You think? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he smoked, he probably, I assume he smoked for decades, for, uh, you know, and it just, cigars. like, when you get older, it just doesn't do anything yeah. good for your, I mean, it doesn't do anything for good for your body, period. Yeah. You just, when you're young, you're dumb, and so you don't, you're, you're just like. You're invincible. It's like yeah. you're, it's like you're, it's, it's like a mortgage. It's like a, it's like a health mortgage. You're like, I'm borrowing against, yeah, who, you know. I'll yeah, pay it later. Yeah, later on. I and then, but then it. when you do, like. I'm oh not boy. that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never got into it. I don't know why. My mom smoked, Larry, and like good. I just, That's I just probably thought why was... you didn't get into it because you had to live around it. So yeah, you know, but so she gross. would always hide it. It was always that obvious oh, thing. Really? She like you'd walk in a room and she'd like put it behind the chair and you just see smoke <laughs> coming up from behind her and I'm not smoking. I'm not. If that's what I'm you not. Think. It's not. Smoke's coming out I'm, of her mouth. Yeah. Like, Honey, yeah, exactly. mommy's lighting farts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. But uh, yeah, I just I never and. You know, I was like a straight edge kid, but then even when I started like, you know, drinking and trying drugs and stuff like that, it's still smoking cigarettes was always just like, I don't see the point. When yeah, you became was, a craggy edged kid. Yeah. I never yeah. like I don't drink or do drugs of any kind. I never have. I just but smoking was like always the thing I did. And and it, it unfortunately became part of my like work ethic. It was like the writing at night and lighting a candle. It was kind of like having a cigarette burning while I was working and I, and I work late at night. And but this totally replaced it. And what's really cool is that um, they have these things called pass-throughs. That um, it is exactly like a hookah. It plugs in your computer, the USB, and it's powered. So you're literally like smoking from your computer. <laughs> and, uh, as soon as boy, we can give them vaginas, as as why would we ever exactly, leave the house? Yeah. If you want to be a nerd, as soon as as soon as there's some sort a of a job. some sort of a food matter duplicator. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, but yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been great though because I haven't I haven't smoked in almost three years. Oh, that's awesome! Oh, wow. Because yeah. that's when you started on trying yeah. all those things. Yeah. God, I don't miss wow. it at all. Even I don't. Just, you know, I've always. Uh, I hate. I can't. I'm so glad I'm. You can't deny though that it does look cool. <laughs> it does, and that's like a, I'm not trying to make a joke. It looks 
cool. Smoking a cigarette looks cool. You know what? Yeah. It depends on who's smoking it. There are some yeah. people who are like, hey, Gary, what's happening? And you're just like, that. And it's like, yeah, he's holding John a cigarette with the gap in his teeth. That's cool. Like, uh, I saw this one band play, uh, their band, this band called Party of Helicopters, and the drummer, just amazing drummer, but just cigarette drummer hanging out of his trick. mouth. Bunny Carlos. Yeah, yeah, Bunny he, Carlos. He, he, bun, bun, like, right. just hanging out while he's hanging out of his mouth. And yeah. That was pretty cool. Not a super healthy looking guy, by the way. No, no. but look cool. <laughs> no, he looked like he was in his mid fifties when he was probably like twenty five. Yeah. A lot of those, if you look at a lot of bands though from the seventies, all those guys look like yeah, they're fucking true. thirty You're years like, older. What? Frampton was only like twenty five. Yeah, you exactly. Know? None of them had hair, and they were all fucking just like crazy, doing tons of fucking drugs. Yeah, and none of them looked healthy. I mean, if you could come back, if you could come back during any time period, I think the th- I think it would be fun. To just be a like a fucking British rock star in the seventies, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and where it just no one gave a shit about anything. There was no. unprotected sex, or tons of drugs. Drink. I mean, being in Motorhead in the seventies. All those people yeah. in the, like it. Like if you had to live into the eighties, then it gets dicey. It gets but if it was just the seventies yeah. and you just yeah. sort of live, like what they a were fun. Large. Yeah, you, yeah, for sure. Everyone was like sexual revolution and. But it was just the dirty end of it, you know. It was like the, totally the dirty. It was just the, it. the dregs of just like, oh, let's just fucking like it's like the peace and no war stuff just went out the over. window. And it was just really just about the drugs. As the much fucking. as I think of the 80s as being kind of like um, uh, neon and day glow and and clean lines and, pads and, and, and prime yeah. and like like bright colors and shoulder pads and, you know, checkerboard patterns. The 70s is just like. The, just like a greasy ashtray. It's yeah. just like the it's brown <laughs> and orange corduroy. It's a yeah. fucking well, it's a it's a say. bar mat with cum on it. <laughs> we even say that too. Like even when you, you just watch TV or movies from the seventies, everyone's like sweaty. Everyone's, <laughs> everything's brown. Just yeah. everything. Sweaty. Smog. There's still tons of smog in the it was air. Just, the seventies just yeah, had right. like that yeah. fucking plastic covering over vinyl furniture with with like brown cigarette yeah. burns. Diesel diesel <laughs> film over. Yeah, everyone. even watching. The, even watching the Brady Bunch, you're like, nothing looks clean. It just doesn't look clean. Like, no. just hairy vaginas yeah. and stinky buttholes. <laughs> and, like, oh, they didn't have toilet paper. That's in the, no, that's actually, no, that's, toilet, a, that's, that's why they grew their hair out. The 70s. Yep. <laughs> hairy <laughs> vaginas <laughs> and stinky buttholes. <laughs> I like to use the word like pussy, but then butthole right after. Like it's really funny to use really filthy words, and then like a word a kid would use. My favorite new character, the guy that like can't follow through with his dirty talk. Like, hey Chris, you take that little cunt and shove your wee wee into her. (laughs) God, (laughs) sorry. It's just like it's like making a word like pussy boogers. Like, yeah, (laughs) those two words next to each other. We haven't really earned our uh, explicit tag in a long time. I feel yeah. really good about this today. You gonna take your throbbing cock and put it into her poopy? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in her into her into her twee twee. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know the, that's, I don't know what this is. It's a bird's vagina. Uh, <laughs> right in the old twee twee. Um, but Liam, it's nice to have you on because our paths have. Almost crossed so many times. We have so many numerous times in common. Going back to MTV, yeah, back into the to the to the old to the old days of the MTV. Days. So let's just talk about Syphil and Ali for a second. Okay. Um, maybe you might know that Jonah's girlfriend did a performance to uh, a performance of Syphil and Ali. She'll be very Ali. upset. She'll be very upset that I don't tell her. What? Tell him. She did, she was hoping he would forget about it, but you probably have. At a Syphil and Ali convention, uh, my future wife. Uh, 
uh, like did a really bad magic act. Oh, performed a magic act. Yeah. The, oh, wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, and then like, uh, but she was like, I think she was eighteen. Oh, wow. time. But she's like, uh, she, like when we were at the table at the wedding, she's like, I just have this feeling that he remembers it for being so bad for some reason. No, 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 uh, no, I don't know. That's cool. That's really yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. So yeah. how did how did uh, that was uh, back when MTV was doing fun. They were experimental programming. So much stuff. I it, mean, they invented reality television somehow with real world. I mean, that yeah. was really, really, I can't think of a, that really set the pace for how bad a lot of television is now. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, they, they really, and liquid television. I mean, there's yeah. so many. Well, MTV was, MTV was innovative programming at one point, particularly because, no other channel would. Pro- they basically MTV was the internet before the internet. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, with you. Where it was like, you know, low end kind of user generated programming, and, and they then were willing to take chances. Totally willing to take chances, and everyone expected that. And so, um, you know, and then at a certain point, their core audience got older, and they tried to program younger, and then it became more about. You know, Laguna Beach type stuff. Well, and, and Real World actually was the start of the end for them because they realized that they could get huge ratings and have hits that weren't people's music videos. And then they started just working on making shows exactly like the Real World. Well, it didn't you know? take. I mean, what what people need to understand about MTV is that even even early '90s people were like, MTV doesn't play music videos anymore. Yeah, and the yeah. reason that that happened, I mean, it's it's. It was purely a sort of a Darwinian survival thing. People were fascinated by music videos in the beginning to mid '80s. Yeah, it was like, oh my god, what an amazing art form! Yeah, but they we could watch these I over mean, and over I again. When MTV turned on, I was waiting on the cable box. They had a countdown, and of like till MTV starts. And I remember like being in front of the TV to see like the countdown go to zero, and then all of a sudden the network. Come on! Like That's I crazy. saw it turn on. On I've had the wireless back in '52. <laughs> yeah. You know what's weird <laughs> though is, uh, like, and in videos didn't even really get watchable or very good until the '90s. Is when they kind of upped the game. There were some cool ones in the '80s. I mean, like the um, the Peter Gabriel videos were fucking awesome. Yeah, the, the, cars, the cars always had neat ones. That the cars were had really, great videos, really and then different. You two did cinematic videos, and you know it's. Uh, and I, I'm positive that I mentioned this before, but so much of the the British music invasion in the United States in the 80s was because American record labels didn't want to put their artists on MTV for whatever reason. But the British label, the British bands were like, "Fuck it, we'll do it." And so mm-hmm. that's why you had that's why there was Duran, so much like Duran Duran yeah. and you know all these British bands that kind of like that new Dexies wave, Midnight Runners, <laughs> Come On Eileen, all these, these this like that wave of Brit of Britpop mm-hmm. that that came over was because. But because of that, and then, and then around the mid '80s, I think they started realizing, like, okay, so people aren't gonna just sit and watch music videos anymore because we're already chipping away at their attention spans. We have to create original programming, and it happens to every cable channel. Mm-hmm. Every cable channel ends up getting to a point where they're like, ah, I think we have to create original programming to build an Shoot, audience. We're gonna have to do a show. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so that's when, the when TV you. The TV Guide channel says they have to make original programming. You know, every. That's fucking that's when you it. start. You know, that's when you start seeing. You know, uh, that's when you start seeing shows pop up like Remote Control, mm-hmm. and they start putting like the young ones on, and they you know they start running Monty Python, and they start. You know, Kevin Seal, Sport and Fool, and just all these weird shows. And that was really their kind of the, how, the, how the programming ushered in. And that continued for 
a good 15 years yeah. of original programming <laughs> and then and then it just all went kind of kind of south kind of south but so yeah. how did how did they find you uh, how how do you how do you pitch a sock puppet show to MTV? Did they did they just know that well, they wanted was, to work with you, or did they did you pitch the show? In, I was how did I start it to begin with? Yeah, I, I, I was living in England for about four years or so, and I started Sifflinali in England, and I made um, the show. I borrowed a video camera, VHS camera, <laughs> and I didn't have anything, and I really wanted to do stop action, but I didn't have the the things I would need to do that, and I. So I made pu- them puppets out of what I could find, which were socks. It wasn't like it's, it's a sock puppet; it's a thing. It was just like <laughs> it was just like that's what I had. Uh, Chester, who's a character on the show, I made out of a rubber mold that's used to make statues of Buddha. <laughs> I don't know if that gives him really good karma or bad karma, but um, so I made a bunch of shorts and I sent them to MTV Europe. And I made 10 of them, and they licensed all of them. Oh, shit. And they said, make more. And I made some more, and I made more, and I made more, until I had done about 110 just shorts. So then I started making tapes of them and sending them to MTV America and, you know, like, trying to call them and trying to get them to watch this tape of, like, all these different short short episodes um, these were like anywhere between 30 seconds long and two minutes long. And, uh, there was a lot of si- sibling rivalry between MTV Europe and MTV America, but Sifl and Ollie were on all of MTV Europe, MTV Africa, MTV Australia, wow. um, before it was like a half hour show. And so then finally, um, I think actually with, um, the success of South Park, which in when it started, the thing that was insane about South Park that every, freaked everyone out was how um, cheap it looked. Yeah, because it looked it was like cut out yeah. card construction paper, and so with the success of South Park, um, I think they're more willing to take a chance with Sifl and Ollie, and and so they said, "How would you do a show?" And I wanted to keep it those shorts, so I I made short segments, so the show worked in as sandwiched vignettes. Well, especially because the executive at MTV, who I believe had to have been one of the people who brought in Sifl and Ollie, was the guy who commissioned Spirit of Christmas. That's exactly right, Brian Brian um, Graydon. Yeah, and. It, and him moving from Comedy Central over to MTV, I think I think he had that feather in his cap and he had the confidence with like, you know what, people will accept something if they like the attitude of it, not just right. how it looks, the production of it. And for Sifl and Ollie, it was really about how little can you do to, and consider it like a show. Like I, I would have, <laughs> one, the ones that were on Europe, it would like come on and they would be sitting there and um, it would be silence. And like then one of them would just go like, <clears throat> and then it would end. And then it would be like, and then the theme song would play, and it would be like a, a minute. You just watched two minutes of puppets thinking. But that, yeah. but you know, and that the spirit of that is so much in the old Mac Granning Life in Hell cartoons of just like yeah, it is. not of yeah. like eight yeah. panels of Akbar and Jeff, and then one says somebody, then they're like, "Let's get pizza," yeah, you know, and, that's and then like and that's the whole like cartoon. That. It is like that. So. um so yeah, so we made two seasons, and then we were we also did a third season that um, was going to air online. And this is still re- very early for videos to be online, and I, I remember that we had a very small size, and I had to make sure that 
I made everything really simple looking so that if it was really compressed down small, that <laughs> I had to make type font really big on the screen so that hmm. it would be legible because there were like, we had, all right, I want you to make a TV show. You got six pixels. Go. <laughs> you know, and so. Some days, these, some day these will just be called thumbnails. Exactly. <laughs> but for now. Exactly. That's exactly. It was a si- smaller than Everyone that. had dial up. So, yeah, every one did have dial up, and it was all like 320 by something, you know, and, and it was really small and really bad, you know. <laughs> but um, at the time, MTV Online was trying to break free of MTV. They're like, we don't need you, we're our own thing. It was like, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> you're, all your content is about our network. So they were trying to break up, they had this huge argument, and in that, and they were moving offices in New York. Right when the Sifflinali season threes were supposed to go online, they never went online, so they never showed them. So they um, so they let me have them back. And um, what are you doing with it? it? But but and then three years after MT- after MTV canceled the show, uh, the characters reverted back to me, so I could oh, do nice. whatever I wanted with them back in like two thousand and two or one. Yeah. Um, but I haven't felt like doing them until now, you know. And so you're doing them again. I'm doing them again now. Where? Well, you put out a few albums. On Machinima. Since then, right? Oh, you are? Oh, it is Machinima. That's right. Yeah. I knew I had and, um, seen it online, but I couldn't yeah. remember where I saw it. I watched I, it today. It's great. It's really oh, fun. Yeah. yeah. So what we're doing is they're, they're doing, I'm doing video game reviews, but all the games are completely fake. <laughs> so I'm reviewing yeah. it's real reviews for ass. fake games. Oh, and I do awesome. 3D animation, so I, I get to make up these games, but then I'm also creating... What you you see the gameplay of these games? God damn exist. it! Now I like the Machinima guys, but I'm jealous that we didn't get to you first. <laughs> God damn it! Um, it's really good. That's such a fucking awesome yeah. idea. And so all the games are completely fake. You see, um, and a lot of them are based on absolutely nothing. They're based on daydreams you have in the shower and go. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Is it? And on- then other ones are are spoofs of obvious. Like we have like mock effect. With the mock effect, man will not be able to reach the farthest corners of space until he can travel faster than sound itself. <laughs> With the mock effect relays, this is possible. Is this on Main Machinima or Machinima Prime? It's on Main Machinima. It's part of the Happy Hour okay. lineup, and um, new episodes go up every Sunday. And I did, I did uh, eight episodes, plus I did a promo, uh, for which is basically just me singing a song called Motherfucking Pie. <laughs> yeah, that went on, that went on and, iTunes um, today. Uh, what's that? That's on iTunes. It, is on, yeah. it went up today? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> I've been checking. I put it up weeks ago, and it takes forever for things to show up on mm, iTunes. Tuesday. Um, so there's a promo episode, so it was like nine episodes. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy, because Syphil and Ollie is one of those shows that just survived in the culture. You know, yeah, it you just... You know, what? it was so... we were Even when we were on the network, it was like we weren't a part of it. It was like we were on... A cable access show that was on MTV or something. <laughs> it was so like in its own bubble that I think, and it's pretty funny too because when you put them online, I'm like, you know, everything. Everybody is so evil online. You all you get. It's like you get. It's a constant barrage of getting roses and rocks thrown at you right. that you just feel not happy or sad about anything you do on the internet because you're you have so much equal hate and love opinions at the same time that you just end up gray. But I've been happy that the comments in general have been those of 
pleased, being pleased to see Sifflin Ali again. Yeah. So. I mean, it is comforting to know that everyone has that experience on the internet, and that's just mm. how it is. Well, it's weird. You well, look it's just, at a... that's just opinions. That's just yeah. people. The more people you meet, the more you're going to meet that don't like you. Yeah. That's yeah. just how it is, you know? That's the odds. It's weird, though, when you see, like, a bad comment, and you go, fuck that guy. Then you see a good comment, you're like, well, what does he know? He's just a guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't want to take, take credit. It seems like what's happening, you know, on Machinima, I was especially, because that is the most, like, harsh group of angry people, the, yeah. the gamers, like, really hardcore gamers that just want to bomb you with hate and snipe you if they could. Yeah. And But the thing is, uh, it seems like what's happening is a, a lot of fans of the show, anybody that pipes in, like, what... Are, you know what the fuck is this or what is this they get they get bombed by everybody we're like yo noob you're too young you were in your mom's vagina when i was watching Sipple and Ollie smoking bongs bitch and like so they're they're really the the fans are like productive like don't touch my oh, that's childhood good. memories here let's do let's do a bit of role playing thing here okay so i'm going to be a guy and then the first conversation... I don't know if I can imagine that. So just pretend okay. I'm a guy for a sec. Mm. Here, I'll take my dick out. Okay, that's all I really want to do. Um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm a guy... Out of Jonah? And then, <laughs> No, no, into Jonah. <laughs> then you're going to reach through Jonah. I'm listening. Uh, <laughs> okay, and uh, pull it through his pussy and butthole. Um, but uh, it, so you're going you're gonna to say, hey, here's this thing I made. And my first guy is going to be a commenter. And then okay. the second time you say it, I'm going to be that same guy that you're meeting in real life. That sounds great. Okay, ready? So you're going to present your thing. Ladies and gentlemen, here's episode one of Syphil and Ollie. This is an abortion. I can't believe all caps. I wasted a minute. I wish I could cut off your fucking head and shove it up your ass and then back down your throat, you piece of shit fuck nut. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no. And now it's just is in, it person. in person. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, that's big fan. Real big fan. It's, it's, I'm by cool. myself. Bravery. Pretty I'm cool. by myself yeah. and safe. Yeah. Balls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, no. the anonymity thing is a is a is a comfortable tower. Well, it's the same yeah. reason that you know, like, if someone cuts you off while you're in your car, you're gonna fucking go, oh fuck you, you piece of shit. And then if someone cuts you off in real life, you're just gonna go, oh sorry. That. Yeah. But if they were in the car with yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that actually, I had that epiphany a week ago where I was screaming at people in traffic under my breath or just in my car. It was just one of those days where I needed to get somewhere and everyone was yeah. like slower than the rest of traffic, cutting you off, like slowed down. They made the light and I would catch the light. It was just one of those like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Yeah. And then for a second I was like, oh my God, I'm the internet. This is what the yeah, internet yeah, is. Exactly. People think they're isolated and they're alone and they're looking at a machine with text and they don't realize that, that they're... I would never shout these things yeah, if exactly. I had a convertible yeah. and I yeah. had to actually deal with the people. It's like Robotech. You feel like yes, you that's you're that protected. Your the weirdest thing is that... A rage take, bubble. You know, if I see something, I, you see stuff online that you think is stupid, you just don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that there's people that take the time... Some people to, want to be angry. Do you know what I mean? Like they have, they, it's so clear how they don't have a way of expressing themselves in life or, or, or getting venting. Like they don't have any place to put it. You, know? yeah. you just want to like go and like be like, dude, 
check this out, this new hobby you can get into. <laughs> have some fun in your life. Or so, I don't know. You, you can devote that energy. I feel sorry for people that have that much energy. I think some of it's a little bit of a, a release that they just can't release into their own lives. Yeah. And so they... Yeah. It's sort of like um, role playing, Dick, yeah. asshole role playing. It's sort of role playing. Yeah, I, I kind of had, I, I had this idea once for a, for it was basically a subplot of the movie, and I don't know what the movie was, but it was just a character trait where a couple, in order to spice up their life, their their love life, they would go out and pick up a second guy, and then he would start fooling around with the girl, and then the guy would get super jealous and beat the shit out of the other guy, and then they'd fuck. Wow, because like I think he that happens a lot in, he, in yeah. real life anyway. He had yeah. to. It's, yeah. it's that idea of like trying to create that emotional experience so you can feel that emotion, or like how you, Jonas, say you like to watch really depressing videos. Yeah, it's just like I think some people, or like why you listen to a bad song that you yeah. know you hate, just so you can be like, I fucking hate this. It's like just for the emotion, just so it. you can yeah. release the emotion Sometimes of it. You're, some people are so desperate for a feeling that they'll settle, settle for anger. That's why I listen yeah. to the band Fun. Just to get angry. What is that? <laughs> it's just the worst new band. I don't. <laughs> is it like One Direction kind of band? No, 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 no. It's uh, you've heard them. You've heard Fun. I don't know if I have. Oh well, then that's a kind of a, just a reference that's just gonna fall flat. Maybe moment. not. Tell me, tell me about it. Explain. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> I want you to explain it so much you get mad. How are you gonna? It's like it's like oh, it's like this. It's like I'm we'll sing one of their songs because you seem no. to be a fan. No, you're I a fan it. of fun. It's bad. What kind of music I'm not is a big it? Fan of fun. I don't it's like not, fun. It's not good. Not good. Fun. But genre is it hip hop? Is it club? Is it's it like, like LMFAO? Uh, what is it? Um, no, it's like kind of a uh, uh, like indie rock kids that listen to Arcade Fire and want to sound like Queen. Um, no. <laughs> uh, or like it, there's even elements of uh, it's say, like Gautier uh, meets Public Enemy meets <laughs> like uh, what's that meets uh, whale song like journey, I mean actual whale like, song like they have it's this like, like anthematic like journey Asia meets sticks <laughs> yeah they have some but they have like the country flags, of Asia kind meeting of like a pile a of sticks elements to it where it's like uh, you know like a lot of you know operatic singing and it sounds fun it's not it's the opposite <laughs> That's actually the review for the fun album. It's just like, uh, fun, it's not. By the way, why did it take someone so long to name a band fun? That seems like it was just yeah, right in the two of was fun with a period after it. Oh. I bet there was a band called fun that they couldn't. Yeah. So this is ironic fun. Fun period is it's like so, ironic they're fun. They're so bad. They're so bad. Are they kids? Maybe it's because maybe you're not the right age group. I don't know. Nirvana were kids. Strokes were kids. Fucking Stones were kids. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. So I'll... Bring things back to just to Thanks. plug the thing, the Siphonology stuff. Um, I wanted to make them. I went to Machinima because it's the biggest network without being a TV network. An enormous. And I work with, do stuff with TV networks, but it, it, TV is in such a slow motion suicide, and TV can't exist without the internet now. It right. really can't. And it wants to be the internet. The internet doesn't want to be it. It's it's this weird. But right now, it's really exciting because, I mean, people are clamoring to figure out how to make money. But it's it's a really exciting time where there's no rules and things are kind of fluid, and you can make roads, which is those moments are rare. Yeah, where you where it's chance to, to to really set up your own rules. So I wanted to go with Machinima just because um, it isn't a network, but you could reach as many as a network. You know? and also, More in a lot yeah, of cases. Yeah, and it's, it's also a reaction of the people. Machinima wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Internet and a need naturally sort of happening. You know what I mean? If your video gets, like Epic Meal, a show like Epic Mealtime, mm -hmm. you know, gets two to five million views per episode, those are bigger numbers than The Daily Show. 
Yeah, yeah. for and, sure. And, 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 and I don't definitely think definitely bigger than what Stefan and Ali got on MTV. So. And I don't think people realize like like what kinds of numbers we're talking about. And you know, the, the television, the infrastructure of television makes it impossible to operate like the internet. There's too much. They're too expensive to run. There's too much fear. They're too beholden to advertisers. There's too and many there's employees. Too many employees making too many decisions. And it is they're, they're not. They lack the ability to be nimble in the way that you have to be, or focus with 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 web content or niche or like just one simple idea, and uh, and so you know a lot of companies go, well, how the fuck do we make money on the internet? And you go, well, <laughs> okay, fine. You may not make a billion dollars in advertising revenue. It's like you can't, don't think of it necessarily as the same kind of TV model, but what you are doing, you know, like in Machinima's case and you know other cases, and hopefully we're trying to do this too, is. You know, you can build out your thing to the point that when the inevitable shift does happen, then you have your audience and you can program for that kind of mm-hmm. mega platform. Yeah, the, the, so there's, it's, it's, it's more of a long term plan. Than, but so many companies are like, you know, well, how am I going to make I, we need to make a thousand dollars a minute off our video. I'm like, well, it doesn't really work that way. Yeah, If it takes a thousand dollars a minute for your company to run, but you can do it a lot smaller and make more money you know i it's it's frustrating but it's also exciting at the same time and so that's why i went in uh, yesterday i was doing press for syphilinoli stuff and somebody asked me if this w- if you had just come up with syphilinoli yesterday would you have taken it to networks or would you would have gone would you just go straight to the internet with it which i thought was a good question and i said i would have just gone straight to the internet i with think it. you would have just made it on your own youtube channel yeah. The same way that you did when you were just doing yeah. it in Europe. Yeah. When I was doing it in my living room. And, you know, even when I made it for MTV America, I made it in a friend's living room. Hmm. <laughs> and um, we didn't, it was just totally, I was like, I don't want to set foot in a studio. We don't need, it's a sock puppet show. Give me a break. You don't need yeah. everything. It's not, you know. And so it was all really like homemade. It feels like that and looks like that too. But So then, so then, then you had that. And then you had, was it United States of Whatever? The Whatever mm-hmm. song. Right, which got huge. But that was it a, was in the that was top, already a, yeah that top was a, ten song in England and in, in um, Australia. So how did you? That was another facet where, where it was like oh now, and now I have this hit song. Well, after season one of Syphil and Ollie, I um, didn't know if we were going to get a season two, so I started doing a comedy album at home and just making songs, and that was one of them. And then we did get picked up. I released my album, and I just released like a thousand copies of it on my website, and. We did a season two, and when we would do the songs for Syphil and Ollie, the way the schedule was is we'd have to have four, there was 40 episodes per season, so I would have to have 40 original songs. <sighs> we had nine days to write Jesus and record Christ. 40 songs. Oh, Jesus. my God. So do four albums in you know less than two weeks. So What a um, crash course, though. It in, was the best crash, and crash course because you ever. Don't, Nothing has ever been harder than that. And you don't have time to second guess. It's just like, fuck it. We There's just have no fat. You just have to yeah. do it. So um, so we came up short three songs. And so I was like, well, I have my comedy album. I'll pull three songs from my comedy album. So it was an album called Fake Songs. And the so we pulled United States or whatever and... Um, I had a fake Bowie song and I had a fake Dylan song, and I and I just used those um, in the season and um, Syphil and Ollie. But then, whatever I I had season we got canceled. Some years went by and like four or five years later, maybe four years later, 
somebody bought my CD off my website years ago. They made a copy for a friend. That person really liked that one song. They put it on a copy. It copied and copied and copied and copied for four years until somebody gave a copy to a friend who was a BBC DJ. And he heard that song and he put it on the air and is like... Was it John Peel? Hmm. No, I, I don't think it was John Peel. It was somebody else. And his switchboard lit up, so he started putting it in regular rotation. And then the other BBC um, people started seeing that that was on the list. And then others, you know, and so it... it it went to, I think, like number eight or nine in the charts. They asked me to be on Top of the Pops, like, and I was, I was on the road with no doubt, oddly <laughs> enough, and I was doing a video for them uh, uh, for a live DVD. So I was like, I can't be on, I'm working, I can't be on Top of the Pops. They're like, you have to be. I was like, no. I, so I made a video for the song, and I, I was like, I'll make them a video and send them a video. So I went home on that weekend, and I made the music video and sent them that so they'd have something to show. And, um, and then I got in the Guinness Book of World Records because it was the shortest song to ever um, <laughs> become a top 10 <laughs> hit in the UK. So, so then I later found out that I like that. So then it got really big over there. And, but it was from, they, they were still playing, a, they were all playing copies of a copy. It wasn't released anywhere. So... I did like a deal for a single over in, in just the UK and Australia. And then when I, I was literally at, just at home one night and I got a call and from Ringo Starr. <laughs> <laughs> and he called Liam, me. Liam, hi, like, it's Ringo. Like, Liam, this is Ringo calling. I just thought I'd come and set up my drums in your bedroom. And so he really loved the song. And I had, <laughs> when I lived in England, I was studying with Paul McCartney. In, I lived in Liverpool for four years, and I was studying music with Paul McCartney. What do you mean you were studying music with Paul I McCartney? Studied, studied music with Paul McCartney. I don't... They, what are these words so that you're saying? Wonder, but Ringo, Ringo didn't know that I had lived in Liverpool and studied with Paul. You've it collected totally two Beatles! Un, two unrelated, totally unrelated. And I said, you know, I, I actually lived in Liverpool for, for years, and I, I studied with Paul. And then it just, like, total phone silence. And then it just said... Well, I won't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so he created a label for me, and then and then he played drums on my album, and that's how Fake Songs was released in America. It was Ringo created a, a, a label just so that we could put out the album, and um, so it's really totally. Bizarre what were you story. studying with Paul McCartney? You're studying music. What is he teaching you? And what is Paul McCartney? Can you have a normal conversation with Paul? Or are you like, hey, Paul McCartney, He's I'm really gonna, funny. I'm gonna go get a sandwich. What do you want, bologna? Like, how do you? Well. He's really complicated. I think he's a really complicated person, to be honest. I think he's one thing on the outside. I think he's something really totally different on the inside. I think he has an incredibly he his his aura has a callus from keeping people from taking his energy from him. Yeah. So like when you're with him and you're looking at him, he feels one way. But then if you're close enough to him that you're inside his bubble, he feels totally different. I know that sounds weird, but it, it's he's it's like his energy. Like if you've had the whole world looking at you, of course, your whole life, yeah. you have an you have a force field. And um, he, uh, you know, I got to hear a lot of insane. Th th Stories and equally with Ringo because I, I haven't seen Paul. <laughs> I haven't seen Paul since back then. You mean but McCartney Ringo's and Star? That's what you're talking about right yeah. now. No, well, 
Ringo's a friend, and, and I do see him, but um, Paul I haven't seen since back then, since I studied, and, you know, so that, but how do that you, was right before... How do you come under the tutelage of... He started a performing arts school in Liverpool. It's the school that he and George went to. Mm-hmm. It's attached to the art college that John Lennon and Stuart Sutcliffe went mm-hmm. to, and... Um, they were going to tear it down, and he he re- he bought the building and refurbished it. And the Queen matched his money that he put into it to bring money and things to Liverpool because it's it was a very poor city in England. And um, so it was a performing arts school. I heard it was about to start, and there were it was very there were forty musicians from around the world, and um, I had to go through a bunch of auditions and you know, interviews and stuff. And I got in and, um, I was, I think there was only one other American there, but he actually got in, he actually auditioned in Germany. He was an American living in Germany and he came in as a German student, but he was American. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, it was really intense that when I would meet with him, it was one-on-one. There was no, it wasn't like a classroom. So I, they would tell me, I wasn't allowed to tell anybody when we would have lessons um, because the press would get out. And sure. stuff. in Liverpool, it's insane. And it, they didn't want it to be hard for him to come to the school. And um, we would, I'd walk into a little room, it'd be a little soundproof room and he'd have his guitar there. And, you know, I, I'm a night person and I would work at night and the studio, there were studios at the school and I would check them out and you could get, you could get like four hour blocks and at nighttime nobody would schedule them. So I'd take two four hour blocks, so I'd have eight hours. So I would work through the whole nights that I could use the recording studios. And so I would be up all night and then the next morning, thankfully I was so sleep deprived that it kind of, I kind of had a ghost pillow around my head that cushioned the surrealness of what sure. was going on because I was kind of in a like oh you're Paul McCartney that's cool <laughs> <laughs> but um, he was really uh, the the most intense and the, the most incredible thing about the whole experience for me was well for one the first thing out of his mouth was nobody can tell you how to write a song which is great to hear him yeah. say because if anybody could claim he, they know how to write songs it's Paul McCartney um, and also um, the most incredible thing was hearing him singing sitting right next to me and hearing it come out of him as a person even if you see him live you're hearing it through a microphone through reverb through a mixing board if you listen to his albums you're hearing recordings that are mixed but to hear the actual instrument not coming through a micro PA was like blew me away like something so familiar and it's so effortless like it's like singing is more comfortable than talking for him and his voice was like fucking it was like velvet hearing him sing hearing it come out of like a person that's right right next to you you just and that was weird the only weird things was that and the very first time i met with him i was nervous and sat down i had my guitar and i'm supposed to play him a song i'm working on that's you know what i mean like and um and he took out his guitar and he picked up his guitar and picked it up left-handed and that's what I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was weird. And he would play a lot. with Was was yeah. his process to try to get you to open up as an artist and see things that you, like, like yeah, break and, through and, walls? And, and just business things and, you know, business stuff and writing and methods. and. What did he teach you about the business? Uh, I mean, lots of stuff. I was doing Syphil and Ollie when he was, even though I was, 
at school studying, I was making Sifflinali, so I would make him tapes, and he'd watch him on his plane flying what? back to back down to London, and um, and just weird, weird stuff like you know. There are so many funny stories about it. I don't know if I want to take if you want me to take up the whole time talking about just this. But well, he, we can he, okay tell he, a couple. Okay, this is a huge. This is an amazing development. Yeah, it's really, he um. And we haven't and even gotten to Ringo yet. I worked with George Martin too in the studio, which was Jesus equally Christ. for me was that was like working with Merlin for me because I was I'm a studio engineer and and for me that was um he is like the godfather of re- multi-track recording and there's yeah. a lot every we do a lot of things like there's a lot of stuff over there with where your mixing equipment is and recording equipment that is he started you know, for reasons of the Beatles' creativity. And he would tell me things about, like, you know, he told me, like, when they'd be in the studio, he would, he would, Paul would come in and have an idea and parts, and this does this, and the horns do this, and he'd play things out, you know, and, and John would see a Leslie cabinet with a spinning speaker, and he would want, he wanted to, he wanted George to, George Martin to tie the, to tie a rope to his belt loop, and put mics around the room and to spin him around the room, <laughs> to spin him around the room past the microphones. Like, well, or we could use a Leslie. <laughs> yeah, so really, like, great stories. And um, but Paul would say, you know, like, like in writing songs, you know, I had a song and I think it had the word "very" in it. And he was like, you know, there's certain words that, you know, you just don't use, you know. Like, you know, <laughs> with, when John and I were doing Peppers, we, and you're just like, <laughs> oh, you mean Sergeant Peppers that you did when you were like 24. Yeah. You know, it's like insane realities. And you're like, oh, oh, Sergeant Peppers. Yeah. Okay, go on. I've heard of it. And he's like, you know, there's certain words like very or really that don't really mean anything. And so there was, they, he seems like they had a lot of rules between the two of them when they were writing songs. Like I could, I could see that. I could see the two totally different personality types that are both badasses in two different ways. But just so uh, complimentary. Just so to hear, complimentary. I, I remember seeing an interview with him and he was talking about, there. he was talking about, um, when they were writing, Scott, I've got to admit it's getting better. And he kind of, so he, so he's, you know, Paul came in with like, uh, I got to admit, it's getting better. And then he said, John kind of leaned in and went, can't, can't, can't get much worse. And that's it. And then yeah. that's the song. Like, yeah. that's the, like that so condensed this kind of relationship, it seemed like, that yeah. they had. And just the, the two ways that they it's incredible. came it's incredible. at everything. And it, was, it was an incredible time in my life, too, because it was so surreal. Not only because of that, but I was where I lived in Liverpool City Center. And... Um, so you're dealing with that reality, and like across the street, I'd walk through a graveyard to go to the school where, and on that brick road behind the graveyard was Charles Dickens used to walk down <laughs> Jesus that street. Christ. Uh, Hitler used to walk down that street because he went to the art college that John Lennon went to when he was a boy. <sighs> Jesus And then you figure, like, okay, so I'm walking down the street. It's 7 in the morning. I have been up all night. I'm going to see Paul McCartney, and I'm walking a path that Charles Dickens, Hitler, and the Beatles all used to walk <laughs> daily. And you're just like, uh, and then you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to go get an egg sandwich. It sounds like an old I, it sounds like an old icebox.com cartoon like the <laughs> Beatles, crazy. Hitler and Dickens all lived it in a college. Kind of is, it kind of is like a joke almost. That's, but, and that's then, unbelievable. You know, he, and then he Hitler um, wanted to be an artist, you know, and then he and he studied 
art and everything. And then I think he was, I think he like made, was trying to make certain that that got bombed, that that school got bombed. Oh, because they didn't, they didn't, yeah. So listen, support your kids if they want to be an artist or they're going to turn into Hitler. John Lennon was there studying sign painting. A lot of people don't know that, but he was actually at art college studying to painting like lettering for science because that's like a decent job that you can, where there's always work. Oh my God. Yeah, insane. And then and then all the stories with Ringo and 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 George Danny Harrison's a good friend of mine. I just did a video this week with Danny Harrison and um and Ringo introduced us because George was Ringo's best friend. And so Ringo introduced me to Danny and now we're Oh we're my gosh. Oh, wow. best friend. So it's really What an interesting really cool. how and how was Ringo to work with? He seems like a He's decent the chap. Coolest dude, he is who you want to hang out always. He is so down to earth. And funny as shit, and he, he has he sees things so simple that there's never bullshit involved. What he tells you is honest, and it's black or white. Just he is what you get. Like it's just you know he would just he made up a lot of the phrases that are in the Beatles songs, like "Hard Day's Night." That's something Ringo said. Eight days a week is something Ringo said. And he's kind of one of those dudes that'll say something that you could just take out of his mouth and go down to the tattoo parlor and have it put on your arm, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, it's really, the United States yeah, of whatever. Check this, out, check this out. The first time I met him, it was on Sunset Boulevard. We met and had dinner. And he, he found out that I'm a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> and so whenever I first met him, I'm like waiting in front of this restaurant and he pulls up in the car and he gets out and he goes, puts his arms on to like, give me a hug. I'm a hugger. and he gives me a big hug and when he's hugging me he like reaches in my coat and he's put something in my coat and i'm like what the hell and he gave me a doctor who the the movie uh that was on television the paul mcgann movie yeah uh, with the eighth doctor no uh no the old one oh the The, old the daleks uh invasion of the daleks yeah Uh, dalek mania the the movie that was the the dalek invasion movie yeah um and he went. He stopped on the way to dinner and bought me a Doctor Who DVD and gave me a Doctor <gasps> Who DVD. Oh, that's so like, sweet! How, how cool is that? Like, that's what type of guy he is. And I think it's because his lows were so low in his life that I don't think any highs could could. He's he, he's grounded. You know what I mean? I think he said he had a really super super poor childhood he spent his whole childhood in the hospital he was a sick poor kid in a hospital his whole childhood and he learned how to play drums because they'd bring percussion toys into the hospital so you're talking about somebody that came from that to you know being a beetle and he's he's just a great he's just a warm awesome person like, i think i think he's gonna outlive i think he's gonna be the last i do too i think he's gonna be the last remaining beetle no i i, I think he will be i've always he, he's the, so great he's i've always so had the stigma great. that like he wasn't a good drummer or the like he was like he's the worst one of the best drummers yeah in the history of so that whole that whole john lennon thing of like he's not even the best drummer in the beatles like that's yeah i mean shit. paul's a good drummer I and mean, he paul's drumming on a lot of wings stuff yeah um but but Ringo, you know, I just did a documentary. I was for a year. I was in the studio with Dave Grohl and John Paul Jones and Josh Homme from Queens of Stone Age. And I talked to, to John Paul Jones, got every Zeppelin story out of my head. But he was saying that Ringo Starr was 
John Bonham's idol. John Bonham <laughs> idolized like that was his favorite drummer, and he was like, "Ringo always says." Was then great. why? Then why uh, did why did people give him so much shit? That like not shit, and but Dave just... Grohl, who's a friend of mine, is an incredible drummer, and his idols, drumming idols, are Ringo and John Bonham. Was it was it just that was it just that, that was yeah. it just that John and Paul were such powerful personalities, and Ringo was fine to just sort of like not be such a, you know, like such a face of the band, but that that he didn't because. Well, I think a lot of the times um, the songs that they were bringing songs to the studio, if I think about the, how the writing process worked, it was probably John and Paul bringing songs into the studio and then those guys playing to them. So I think that part of being on the backbeat is also the fact that he's playing to them. The, he's playing to the guitars rather than the guitars playing to the drums. Got it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that that's part of, part of it. Is that they, he was, And what's really cool, too, is that he would... When we would work in the studio and he drummed on my stuff, he writes. He would write on the drum heads, two times verse, what? two chorus, turn around, fill, and so he'd write on the drum heads. There was his notepad. Yeah, he'd use them. There were, you know, sticky notes, you know, and then he had X's on his cymbals. I'm like, what are those for? And George Martin had put them there. They told he told Ringo like, this is the sweet spot. <laughs> this is where the cymbal sounds the very best. Like George Martin went and, you know, Jeez. tapped out the entire cymbal and found where the sweet spot was. <laughs> like just crazy stories. I mean, it really it, it really was it's like the combination of that and him as a producer. It just seems like if any one of those elements were not in place, yeah, then it, and then it, they, they would have made good stuff individually. But, but just like did, yeah. it was just seemed like this because it, it, it seemed like you have to have a guy like George Martin to uh and the sort of technology revolution that was happen that was beginning to happen around that time to start playing with stuff and figure out how to yeah, pull everything absolutely. together and mix everything and it's like every They're element innovating everything i mean everything it was just like was an innovation. it was just like it's just like all green lights driving across it's all town all green lights and every the entire road is they did it first from yeah. recording guitar Fuck. feedback to you know it's just amazing what an incredible ringo ringo told me I go and hang out with him in his house, and he tells these stories. And like I literally was talking about my cats. You know, I have five cats, and we need to talk about that too because I cloned one of my cats. Well, okay, we're going to talk about that in Doctor Who. Yeah, and Doctor, we have to have a cloning in Doctor Who yeah. episode. But um, he told me about the first time when they went to Elvis when they met Elvis, and he said that they went to Elvis's house and they were all so nervous. This is like <laughs> Beatles' first trip over to America, right? And um, Ed Sullivan trip? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They got to meet Elvis while they were... They went to Elvis. They went to Graceland, to Elvis' house, to visit Elvis. And they went there, and the weirdest thing overshadowed the whole trip for him. He said that they went in, and this is, you know, I don't know what year that was, 68 or... No, maybe earlier. It was earlier. That'd be like 63, maybe. 60... I don't know the exact year, but I think it's mid-60s or early 60s. Mid-early, yeah. They went to Elvis's house. They walked in, and he was in his living room. And he stood up, and he had probably like a Bakelite remote for his TV. And he shut his TV off with a remote and set it down and stood up to greet them. <laughs> and this was literally the first time, and it probably was one of the very first remote anythings. <laughs> like the fact that it had a remote, they were like, he just turned the TV off without getting up and turning <laughs> Is he the some knob. kind of a, like, uh, a wizard? How? 
how is that possible? So the whole time, Ringo said, like, as soon as they got outside, they were like, what the fuck is that thing? <laughs> how did he do that? Oh, this is my, it's not a screwdriver. I'm a Time Lord. Exactly. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah, How's it exactly. going? Exactly. Like, it's so funny, those sorts of weird. And then, the, anyways, like, I was telling him one story about my cats are so stupid. So I'm like, oh, my God, my cat. Yes, he <laughs> and, and I reminded him of a story. Like, I reminded him of something to say afterwards. And this is how it started. I was like, so anyways, it was crazy. And he's like, that reminds me of the time. I'm not making this up. This isn't a try to be funny exaggeration. This is word for word. I remember this one time. It was me, uh, Salvador Dali, and an American astronaut on this yacht. And we, and I said, and I go, dude, stop. And I fell on his floor. And I was like, don't you dare even tell me the story. I was like, the fact that I said something that, the fact that you were on a yacht with Salvador Dali and an astronaut, (laughs) I don't need, that's the story, Ringo. And this adorable cat. Go back. Yeah. It's just like unreal. So, I mean, there's like, there is a. There are Beatles stories that are unlike other rock stories because they're the Beatles. And yeah, and there's so much weight. And you, I mean, I, I find it remarkable that even after all that time, you were able to sort of keep it together and not be like, well, well, the first okay, time I, I died. I must have died. I died in the flight over to England. The first time I, that I met, that I had a class with Paul, and I found out that I got chosen because there were a bunch of musicians in the school, and everybody had to put one original song on a cassette tape and he listened to all of them and then he picked five people that he'd work with and I got to be one of those five so um and I don't know if that meant that I was really bad or if I was really good Uh, probably the latter (laughs) so um so we uh like the very first time that I met him I I said um I said I know you're a really good drummer and um I'm actually forming a Beatles cover band and we need somebody to be Ringo <laughs> and, uh, and so I actually asked Paul McCartney to be in a Beatles cover band with me, but he has to be Ringo. <laughs> did he How think, postmodern is that? Did he think that was funny? And he just, he couldn't fucking believe I said that. <laughs> and he laughed, and then he said, watch it, lad. Wow. <laughs> Which and could he, be very loaded. He had a great sense of humor. He just wasn't ready for He just wasn't expecting it. Yeah, we, um, uh, Weird Al shot something. Like, Paul, like they managed to wrangle Paul to shoot something for that oh, yeah, exhibit yeah. that he did. Uh, remember the, the exhibit that he yeah. did at the Orange County Fair? It was like, a, like a, about the brain. The, yeah, about the brain, yeah. Al, Al's brain. And it was like, uh, like, so we're shooting with Paul, and we get him in there, and he—that's exactly he, how he talks. He does, <laughs> he does the take a couple of times, and then, uh, and then, but he's not—he's like, but I just want him to do it one other way, and I'm like, Paul, can we just? And he was like, we got it, and I was like, okay, okay, we got it. Like, <laughs> like he just—he kind of felt the wall go up a little bit, and then you know, Al's very sweet and not confrontational, and it was just immediate. It was like, thank you, thank I you so much. Good friends with Al, I did his video for. Um, Craigslist. Yes, you did the yeah. Craigslist and, video. Um, You've done a lot of. You did Sarah's comedy. You did Sarah's concert movie, right? Yeah, I did Jesus. Jesus is magic. magic. I directed a, an of episode Destiny. of her show and Pick of Destiny. Tenacious. D. You've had an amazing, an amazingly diverse. What's your sort of underlying besides cats and Doctor Who? What's your What's your sort of underlying motivation? Like, what's your What is it that you? How I do you How do you I see love, yourself? Uh, I love making stuff. In any medium. Yeah. Uh, and so every, th- it's also a problem sometimes for, for me because people need to know that that's the one, the guy that does this. And um, since I've never really been just the that one thing guy, um, 
when I do get jobs there, I don't know what people have seen, what why they're giving me a job. So I, I have to ask them, are you hiring me to be a writer or a director or to write music for this? Because I do all that. I write, write music for movies and shows. and and Because um, you meet a lot of people in L.A. and they're like, yeah, I'm a triple threat. You know, or whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm right. But but you actually do all these things. Yeah, I do them. But um, because I just love making things, it's really so simple. And, and it's like it's it's like for the same reason that when you're a kid, you love playing. Yeah. It's like what? You know what I mean? So so I'm always making stuff. And if I either I'm making things for other people. Um, I just finished vi- another video with Tenacious D mm-hmm. this week. And and um, or and I, but I also did their album art. All their album <laughs> I, did, I did Them Crooked Vultures album art too, even though I was doing their documentary. I ended up doing their so album So this is going to be a new Them Crooked Vultures? No, this album? is the last one. Oh, okay. that, I did the vulture-headed guys oh, and yeah. all the artwork and everything. Nice. So, so I ended up getting hired to do different things, and I never know what it's going to be. That's fucking awesome. That's awesome. But it's kind of fun because it all spawned from Syphil and Ollie. And, and, um, and I did different, you know, I was writing it and doing the songs and, and directing it and doing stuff all these different things and um i kind of got jobs in different places coming out of that gate in those different things you know what i mean somebody would hire me because they liked it's interesting it's just it's so common now for people to go well i'm just going to go make my thing because technology is inexpensive and delivery systems are easy because we have youtube um but you were doing that in the you know (laughs) you were doing that in the 90s when it was expensive and hard and there really wasn't any way to distribute that stuff other than i'm just going to pass these vhs tapes around yeah and that's it yeah or public or or maybe public access maybe but for the most part it it, it was an interesting it was an i think that's how you can tell like who the hardcore artists are because even in the face of everything saying like it, there's no way that you can afford or distribute this thing and you still make it anyway. I think that's very telling. Every, every single success I've ever had in my whole life has been the result of something that I made for me. Yeah. For fun. You know? And so it's like everything. Like everything that I've done, that, and anything that's good that's ever come to me or any bill that I've ever play, paid has been because I did something because I didn't have to. Yeah, you know, I did. You know, it's usually or like, you know, I'll get a job doing something for commercial or something because somebody saw the drinking out of cups video. Right. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know if you've seen the the drinking out of cups video, but it's this it's this uh, video that went super viral, and it's this lizard that's talking about a lot of surreal things. So you must sit in a lot of meetings where they're like, "We want you to make us a viral video," and you're like, "You know, it doesn't work that way, right?" I yeah, can make I you a video. A lot, you know. But it, but the good thing is that I, I do have the ability to make um, things. I My podcast, I started video podcasting really before, really early on, back on iTunes in like 2004. And um, so uh, making Lynchland episodes, you know, like a lot of people, I've gotten a lot of things from people seeing those episodes that were for... and. Lynchland episode, Lynchland, this podcast I do for fun and for free has had incredible guests on it too. Ringo's been on there and Danny <laughs> Harrison and um, Jack and Tim, Tim Robbins. So, Tony I mean, Hawk, a- like all these great people. <laughs> and it's for no money and just for fun. Like, just, it's, it's so cool. Like, it's, it really is, it really is. The, the, the lesson is that you just have to 
make stuff that you love and that you yeah, care about, and exactly. then and then the other stuff will fall fall into place. I, and and it does make a full circle back to Sifal and Ollie because that's something I made just because I had to see it. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like I had to see my friend Matt and I talking, but as these like characters in, in this sort of like obtuse, you know, surreal La- show. Last two points: you cloned your cat. So, yeah, and in fact, how today, today's, uh, September in 11th. three day, four days is his birthday, his seventh birthday, seventh birthday. The cloned cat, seventh yeah. birthday. The original cat that he's cloned from is dead, but the clone is two years older than the cat, that his clone father. Mm-hmm. His clone father was Frankie Forcefield. Okay. And he's Finnegan Forcefield, <laughs> as in like Finnegan's Wake. Sure. Know? And, um, or it so also has the, almost the word begin, again begin, in it. Yeah, fin again, begin again. <laughs> begin again, yeah. yeah. So how did you, uh, so if the cat's seven years old and cloning yeah, technology is a relatively old. nascent science at that point. So uh, how, do you, how do you approach, oh, was it, did you do it in England? Is that how you were able to do no, it? No, I did it here. Where, how did you, what piece of the cat did you take? What cellular well, structure? the cat was, I was supposed to clone him, um, while he was alive, the idea was to have him raise himself <laughs> because he he deserved that situation. <laughs> he was the weirdest God cat on earth. And I was it. like, you know what? You fuck it with me. How about I introduce you to you as oh a baby? <laughs> yeah. So I uh, yeah I set it up to clone him. My vet was actually studied you know, genes and, and genetics and, and stuff. My vet study, I think genetics in was, that's what the, his degree was in actually. And, um, so he was down for it to take the samples and they take a little sample from the t- roof of the cat's mouth and they take a tiny little sample from, of skin from its stomach, um, externally. And I set it up with the company and I set it up with him and, I was getting ready to do it, and then, like, the week before I was going to do it, the cat got hit by a car. Oh, Oh, Jesus. So then I went out, and I brought his body in, and I put it in the refrigerator. I didn't put it in the freezer because I knew that if I put him in the freezer, the water in his cells would freeze and destroy the DNA. But if you refrigerate it, it would keep him. So I had him in a Well, that's not weird that you know how to preserve a body. No, right. But I put him in the refrigerator, and then I called the company. I said, the cat I was about to clone just got hit by a car. And they said, well, if you get it to us within five days... There's still a chance. And then, so, then right there is a Smokey and the Bandit comedy where you have to get to Texarkana, Texas. Listen to that engine purr. Yip, yeah. yip, yip, yip. Yeah. So, um, so they took when they took samples, they took them from internal organs, and they took a lot of samples because the cat was dead. It wasn't going to get any fresher. Right. So they took a lot of samples from from Frank, and then um, they grow eggs you know cells like and they grade them like eggs and they 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 take those cells and they um shock them and they start dividing mm-hmm. and they rate them like eggs a b and c and then they the the good ones they pull the um dna from those cells they get a female cat and they, they get it um, drunk they get her yeah get a real drunk <laughs> They Send get her to a bar. And they get her, her eggs and they take her information out of her egg and they put in the DNA from my cat mm-hmm. so that it seems as if it's the makeup of a mother and yep. a father. And then they shock that egg with insanely low amounts of voltage and it starts multiplying. 
and then they get a cell cluster and they put it back into the mother's womb and then she grows a baby one kitten that isn't born in a litter it's just a single kitten and she's she gives birth to a baby that she has no relations to and they actually impregnated two cats to raise the chance of it working and both of them became pregnant but the one kitten died oh. not because it was a clone just because kittens die yeah and so the the mother's um one one of them's name was blue and the other one i can't remember the other one's name but the one that gave birth to Finnegan, if they had both lived, the other one's name was going to be Fett after Boba Fett. Oh, of course. Um, so um, this mother gave birth to Finnegan, but she never had sex. She They did it C-section. Oh, so your cat so is never, Christ. He's Christ's cat. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, she never had sex, and she had never had a kitten before, and she the C-section. The so Immaculate she, Conception? She, I'm sorry, guys. I didn't. Yeah. That was not worth it. <laughs> so she she basically got you know like anesthetized and they took the baby out and then she woke up and she was like, "There's this kitten and I didn't. You don't look like me." So <laughs> the other and the cages were next to each other, both moms' cats, and one mom's cat baby died, and the other died. It died like two days after it was born. And the other one who gave birth to Finnegan, she didn't even know what it was. She, so she wasn't taking care of it. She turned her back to it. She wasn't grooming it. She didn't care. So it started crying. The mother of the cat who's died was digging through her, her, um, through her cage looking for her baby, thinking the clones was the cry of her baby. So they took this... This is very they took, complex. They took, the, they took Finnegan away from the cat that gave birth to him and gave him to this other mother whose baby died. And because he had the same scent as her baby... <laughs> oh, come on! And wow. because he basically was, she accepted it as her baby and she raised it. She raised, fin- she raised Finnegan. Even though she also had no relation to... Not like that other bitch who just wanted a career. Ugh. Yeah. No, no, but I mean, even though genetically neither of them had any relation, she didn't even That's give birth to him. That's unbelievable. It's just like the maternal instinct. Just, yeah. yeah just, it's a, it's and then just when like I brought caught. him into my home, all my cats accepted him as Frank. Because they smell. Because he had Frank's scent. God damn it. So um, they're like, oh, Frank's back, and he's a baby now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> it's like, dude, you look really young. You have yeah. work done? You look like you're... 12 weeks old? That's gonna, that's the plot of Benjamin Button. Down. It'll come out in seven years. Yeah. Did yeah. you, so are you going to just keep cloning that cat over and over again? No, I, I, I was also, I was writing a script for Universal about cloning too. So I was wanting to learn about it. And I got to really interview all the geneticists that did the cloning. And a lot of, all the money for, the, we've learned a huge amount about cloning and it's all come from Texas and these people that, breed these prize-winning um, racehorses and and steers. Like, they, they sell cum shots from, like, a, sure. a bull that... Like um, on Red Tube. It's like $500,000 for, like, a semen sample from a prize-winning bull. So, sure. like, well, then I want 10 of them bulls. <laughs> so they put millions and millions of dollars into um, cloning, and they can really do it. There's It's closer than a twin. It's not 100%. It's 99.9999999 forever, just but it's not. A m- half a million dollars for dude, a bull dude, just I to. I could do a whole episode just talking about weird clone stuff with this cat. Because the cat that I cloned was super weird and quirky and not like any cat I've ever had. And 
he was a weird cat, and this clone, it's, it was a really good cat to clone. It's like, oh, my God, he totally just licked his paw just like Frankie did. It's oh. not like, I mean, this cat was weird and did really specific things. And I even did, did like, putting all the cat toys in our house. And at one time I had seven cats, so it's ridiculous. Um, like, 70 cat toys out on the floor. One of them was Frank's. And I mixed them all up on the floor, and Finnegan, as a kitten, walked right through all the toys to Frank's and picked it up and walked weird. out. Ah, yeah. Cellular toys toy are preference. endlessly weird, especially the stuff that the geneticists said about cell memory. So what's going to happen? Were you ever afraid that after, like, two years you are going to go in and then Finnegan was just going to be in the corner smoking, like, half-evolved, like some other DNA got in, and he's like... <laughs> Well, what scared me is that I've been guy, waiting to evolve, Liam. The guy, um, the place that cloned Finnegan, um, it's a new. They started a new company. It's called BioArt, and they're in Beijing now. And they just their goal was to clone dogs, but there's a bunch of reasons that are super technical of why it's it was hard to clone dogs. But they figured it out, and they were going to clone dogs. And they asked if I'd go on Good Morning America because I'm one of the few people that own a cloned pet. People and, are um, freaked out by that. Yeah, so they made the announcement that they can now clone dogs on Good Morning, Good Morning America, and I went on as a person that has a cloned pet that they had done. And, um, and you know, where was I going with this story? Um, you were a spokesperson for cloning. I was, a, I was, and I actually Salvador had Dali to. comes in. <laughs> and I was on this yacht. Oh my God, it. don't no, tell um, me anymore. But, uh, the the guy I remember what I was gonna say the guy um, asked me to be they did uh, an auction for four of the dogs they they're gonna clone five dogs for people and it was gonna be an auction for four and I think bidding started like started at like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars something ridiculous and they auctioned four of them and the fifth one they're gonna give away for free they're gonna clone someone's dog for free so they people wrote in sto their stories of why they're they're dog should be cloned and i had to be a judge i'm sure those were upbeat letters mm -hmm. oh man it was the worst ever so i they narrowed it down to 10 and i had to put them in the order of who i think should get it first oh why would you want that responsibility yeah so I, but how but how often do you get to be in a be a judge in a cloning contest i think so, once yeah once. no it's That's called american often. idol ah, <laughs> see because they're all sound the same know. come on you guys but, um so Whenever he did it, he's like, do you want to do this cloning thing? I was like, sure, I'll do it. I was like, for a coupon, for a free cloning coupon, like I was kidding. Yeah. And he's like, actually, you know, get in touch with me when you want to talk about upgrades. What? And I didn't ask because what he's saying is, if you want to make an upgraded version of Finnegan, let me know. With like tiger claws That's and a fucking like, about, alligator tail? Well, we could do a version of Finnegan, but with like, yeah, a crab, one crab claw and <laughs> hawk vision yeah. and glow in the dark hearing. Now, and, and so, uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, people are definitely freaked out by the idea, like the ethical terms of cloning, but, but I'm fascinated by it. It's like, why shouldn't we be able to? But you know what? Here's the truth. If you have a dog, you are guilty of genetic manipulation. Sure. Because every dog is a wolf. Now look at a look at a wiener dog or a sheep dog or a poodle and realize that we bred that. We we forced uh, breeds through breed you know genetics. Like Gregor to, Mendel with peapods. We shaped yeah we we <laughs> shaped them into that. Yeah. 
And we've been doing that with plants forever, mm-hmm. with farming, of merging breeds of plants. And this just takes all Lyman. the fucking it's out of it. Lyman. It's it just, it, it takes, you know, it, it's been a part of, of being human is uh, changing our surroundings and, if, and working with genetics. What if he meant he could upgrade you? I'll make a you with a crab claw. Yeah, I think he... he I, I didn't ask because I didn't even want to know. I didn't even want to know. <laughs> we have time. like three minutes left. Okay. I just really quickly... First of all, you've been an amazing guest, Liam Lynch, and I hope we get to Thanks. do more stuff together. I'd like to. I actually wanted to ask you guys, I don't know if you're booked all the way through October or not, but I have the most effed up ghost story for around Halloween time. Or And if, if you're already booked through Halloween... I have to come back and tell, just tell you uh, it's a long story, but I guarantee you it is the most insane paranormal story that happened to me in England over the course of years. What? And it involves the Masons, underground tunnel systems, and whores. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, don't, def- you don't need to say the story. We'll we do it. We'll do. You know, favorite ghost stories. Just record them separately and. Yeah, and intense. then we'll just. I have a really intense one. That's amazing. Okay, so you promise. We should play scary wind sound effects or something behind. <laughs> well, we have an instant replay machine right here with scary wind sound effects. That's what, he's t- that's what so he calls me. You are, <laughs> Jonah. <laughs> scary wind. Uh, just in closing. You're a, you're a huge Doctor Who fan, uh, and you and time. you you were telling me that you actually have episodes that go back to Hartnell. Mm-hmm. On VHS, All, almost all of mine are on VHS until the new one. I, I started rebuying some of the old ones as they've been releasing them on DVD. But I've been a fan since the seventies. I used to watch them on, watch Doctor Who on PBS, and I didn't have a single friend that ever liked Doctor Who. Growing up, I used to go to conventions. I didn't know anybody that even knew what it was. I was just like a lonely American Doctor Who fan. In, in you know. It was sad. <laughs> and then it came <laughs> back, and now I find myself buying all the toys that I didn't have when I was of a course. kid. Um, awesome Doctor Who toys. And um, and I connected Rob Schraub, is like my a good friend of mine. and, and Huge Doctor and Who found, fan. He, he's a huge Doctor Who fan, too. So he was like my kid, got to connect. That was one of our first things we connected on. and um, But I have a lot of like cool Doctor Who stuff and some like... Doctor Who from the seventies, you know, like Doctor Who cookbooks and Doctor <laughs> Who uh, knitting. You said you a toaster patterns. cozy with the ca- yeah, with canine. canine, you know, toaster cozy. And Rob Schraub actually gave me an incredible Dalek, um, like Zippo lighter. Where the head goes off. It's like a big chrome Dalek that you you know like light cigars with. Nice. And, um, Exterminate after yeah, you light got, this fire. I got some good autographs as well, and. Um, that I bought at conventions over the years, as well as I was telling you, I have the a big um, sketch of Tom Baker's second outfit with this when he changed to his second scarf, um, and it's uh, it's the the sketch the wardrobe artist did when designing that his Fuck. outfit, and it's, it's awesome. signed by Tom Baker and the wardrobe wow. designer, framed. William Hartnell, John Pertwee, John Pertwee, oh. John Pertwee. Um, um, yeah, so we have to talk Houston. And I, so I've been loving all the nerdist stuff and the bowling and everything. Oh, thanks, with, man. With, with all your Doctor Who. If I'd had you, if so I'd great. known you then, I would have had you come on that. Um, but we'll, what, we'll, there'll be more stuff, why, though. I'm, we're good friends with Alex, and he's been on my podcast. And Albrecht. He, yeah, and he that day tweeted me, like, like, bowling with Doctor Who. 
I'm so sorry at Lynchland because he knew like that he was like Liam should be here, not me. Well, he we'll have like, we'll have you back on in October. I'm so sorry that we have to. I could talk to I could talk to you for another two hours about all this stuff, and we'll have you back yeah, on. I'll come back on. I I know that that you would appreciate this this ghost story. I need to. It's tell done. You now. It's booked. We're gonna do yeah. it. Okay. Cool. All right. Enjoy your burrito, everybody. <laughs> I don't know why I yelled. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Enjoy it. Enjoy your very good burrito. Very's not really a Paul McCartney would really? not yeah, approve. Exactly. Yeah. And very you're very he used really to say, and he said, you know, we'd say like John would say like, I'm going to write a motorboat. And I'd say, I'm going to write two tellies and a motor car. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Well, with this song, I'll buy a motorboat. Oh Jesus. <laughs> oh fuck. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. 
The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now ad-free on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.